Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our 10-part series entitled, Because Jesus is Lord, we're exploring the practical ways in which the Lordship of Jesus impacts our everyday lives. We hope you enjoy, and you can check out more at churchinthecity.us. Uh, what a privilege. I have uh, my wife praying for me before preaching, and then my 18-month-old stormed the stage during worship, and uh, just kind of letting me know, Dad, you can, we can do this. We can take this, you know? So that was, that was a nice encouragement that uh, my daughter gave me, which was, uh, which was awesome. Um, you know, it was such a privilege to praise God, the Lord of all heaven and earth, this morning, and, you know, that was really coming through, is while well, we get to praise Him, we get to honor Him, we get to just share in that, that Lordship of, of Jesus, and... Uh, I was thinking about uh, the series that we're in, right, where we have this 10-part series of uh, Jesus is Lord, and we've heard of the heart of the Father, love, faithfulness, uh, trust, obedience, accountability. We've heard these incredible pillars that have been a part of Jesus as Lord, and today we're going to talk about honor and the way of honor in, in understanding Jesus as Lord. So today, as we talk about honor, it's interesting, you know, when I first thought about honor, I, I thought of, it was kind of like being polite, right? You know, kind of be nice to one another and being polite. And you hear about Southern hospitality and things of that nature. And as I was praying about that, I was like, wait, that's not, that's not honor. You know, and I, I was looking, I was thinking about the real world. I don't know if you guys have ever watched the real world when it came out. But it's like, this is what happens when people stop being polite and start being real. Yeah? And, you know, that was like a compelling thing that, well, we can be real, you know. And... When I look biblically at the Old Testament and the New Testament, the idea of honor is so much deeper than just being polite. It's so much deeper than just works that we have for one another. It's about value and esteeming one another, about seeing that value and seeing the weightiness of God's call on people. And that's a heart issue, right? Because if our heart really grasps that, then it manifests in physical ways of, of being nice and being gracious to one another, serving one another, being... Um, there for one another. And, uh, and as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, but why would we do that, right? Wh- why, what's the big deal about honoring one another? Why don't we just kind of do our own thing? And, and I, I just keep coming back to the example of Christ and how honoring he was to us. And we see in Luke twenty-two forty-four that Jesus in the Garden of um, uh, Gethsemane was just praying before he was going to be taken. And um, there's this incredible verse where it says that, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And we know that this actually happens, right? That in concentration camps, when people are under incredible stress, psychological, emotional stress, that the capillaries around their sweat glands burst. And so blood goes into the sweat, and it's, they, they sweat blood. And that's a heart of what Jesus went through. And this is before he's taken. And instead of using those hours or whatever to flee for his life or to protect himself, to value himself, he goes like a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep to the shears, because he saw value in us. And he saw, he esteemed us, and he was willing to devalue himself to give his life for us so that we could be valued and honored. And that's, that's where honor starts, and that's where it begins. And, and he knew the prophecy. He knew Psalm 22 when he says, I'm poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart turns to wax. And we know that happens when we lose a lot of blood and we go into shock, that our heart becomes waxy and enlarged. He knew that his hands and feet were going to be pierced. He knew exactly what he was getting himself into. He knew that he was going to be beaten beyond recognition. But yet he still went. And he did that because of us, because of you, 
and because of me. And that revelation is incredibly compelling. That revelation is transformative. And we saw that it was for Matthew the tax collector. In Matthew 9, 9, Matthew is sitting there at the tax booth, and Jesus comes to him, and he says, follow me. And he gets up from the tax booth, and he just follows him. And later that night, he was eating dinner in Matthew's home with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees were like, what is this guy doing? Doesn't he know who these people are? They're tax collectors. They're sinners. And why are tax collectors so despised? Because they were collaborators with the Roman Empire. The, the Jerusalem was under Roman rule. They were oppressed. And these Jews were collaborating with the Roman authority. They were collecting taxes from their own people. They were despised by, by the Hebrews. And yet Jesus was eating in his home with other sinners. And he saw value where other people didn't see value. And it shows us that the world is so quick to devalue us. It's so quick to tell us what we're not and who we're not. But Jesus is quicker to tell us who we are and the value that, he, that we have in him. And we saw that that transformed Matthew's life. Later in Matthew 10:3, we see that Matthew is one of the disciples and Simon the Zealot is one of his disciples. And Simon the Zealot was, he was a rabble-rouser. He was a terrorist, an anarchist. He was trying to overthrow Roman rule. They were willing to use violence to overthrow Roman rule. And he and a tax collector, a collaborator, a traitor of Rome were disciples together. They were brought together by the person of Jesus. And if that revelation of the value that Jesus put in them could bring them together with the spirit of unity, what could it do in us? What could it do in me and each of you? And that's where I feel honor start. And, and Matthew has this incredible phrase that he uses in, in um, Matthew 10.3. He says, freely you have received, Jesus says in Matthew, freely you have received, now freely give. And so as I seek to freely give of that honor, I realize it's hard. It's not easy trying to honor one another. It's especially when there's so many things in our world telling us to dishonor one another. And when we look biblically, we see even in the beginning in Genesis 4 that it's so easy to dishonor one another. And we see that in Cain and Abel. And the heart of comparison and comparing our value to someone else's value can really undermine our honor. When each of them offered a sacrifice, Abel's sacrifice was more pleasing to God than Cain's. And Cain saw his value relative to his brother, and so he tried to take his brother, brother down a peg, and he ended up killing him. And when God came to uh, Cain and said, where is your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Just so callously, with such little value and regard for his own brother. And I realized that I'm not above that. And I've struggled with this. That when I look at others and, and what God is doing in their lives, sometimes I struggle with jealousy and, and seeing my value relative to other people. But now I know that if, if when that happens, if I pray for that person, if I pray immediately and catch that in my heart and say, God, bless them even more, bless them, give them a double portion, that then my heart changes. And I see God advancing his kingdom in each of our lives. I see our community stronger for the blessings and the value that he's putting in each, each of us. And my heart is transformed, and I, I'm starting to be more Christ-like just by catching my heart in those instances. And I want to be practical, friends, because as we think this through, honor can be hard to attain. But if we have practical steps that remind us of how we dishonor one another, how we can honor each other more, then we open our hearts to God, and ultimately God's the one going to do this. God's going to transform our hearts, but we have to be willing to open our hearts to him. And let these things be a, a kind of a challenge and a witness to us. The next thing I see is that honor takes effort. That 
you know, in um, 1 Samuel 11.1, we see that King David, as he's going out to battle, he was known as the tip of the spear. So whenever they would go to battle, he would be on the front lines with the soldiers. And his mighty men would even say, get behind us. What are you doing? You're on the front lines. You know, you're too valuable to us. And he'd say, no, this is my place. And morale would rise and, and battles would be given to them. And we see great generals throughout history did very similar things. That General George Patton in World War I and World War II, he would be fighting on the front lines where all the other generals were in the back lines. And as he would come there, the, the soldiers would look and say, he's willing to risk his life? Well, I will too. And morale would rise and, and battles would be given to, to the U.S. Army. And his, his esteem grew. <clears throat> but David, in the, towards the end of his reign, we see here, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, his general, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Not only did he not go in the back lines, he didn't go at all. And we see that this was incredibly dishonoring to his troops because when Joab is about to take Rabbah, he writes a letter to David. He says, if you do not get over here, I will take the city in my name and not your name. And David quickly gets over there, you know, and they take the city, you know. And we see that this, this dishonor leads, you know, he's in a city by himself and the whole city's emptied of men and he's on his roof and then he sees Bathsheba bathing in, you know, in her bathroom. And he dishonors Bathsheba, he dishonors her husband Uriah, and we know that Bathsheba was the granddaughter of his chief advisor and the, the wife of his mighty men, one of his 30 mighty men who've been in countless battles together. And then that leads him to kill one of his mighty men and all of the troops in his company because they would be loyal to Uriah. And you can see how dishonor builds and grows and if we let it. And at any time, he could have called Samuel to him and said, let me inquire of the Lord. Is what I'm doing right? But he didn't. And, and part of what this convicted me of is, is how many times are there opportunities to serve where I'm like, nah, I'm too busy. Nah, I, I, nah I'm just not going to do that. And when that opportunity happens now, what I do is, well, hey, am I, is this a David moment or is this right to not, not serve and to rest in this time? And it, just by opening up to, to Jesus and saying, God, is this, is this time to rest or is this time to serve? God mostly says rest. Mostly says spend time with your family and, and honor your wife and your daughter. But sometimes he says, no, you're being lazy. It's okay. It's okay to go. It's okay to take an extra step and, and serve in this, in this area. And, and to be honest, that was actually what God convicted me with Groundbreakers. For, for a while, I felt God uh, leading my heart to serve in Groundbreakers. And I, I just, I didn't, I didn't get kids, you know. I didn't really understand them. But God was like, you're being lazy. Just get, get over there, you know. And it's been actually an incredibly blessing time and wonderful time of just leading, leading little ones and seeing the incredible destiny that God has on them. But it takes effort. Now, the next thing that, that God's been kind of checking my heart with is considering others more important than ourselves. And we see that in, in Philippians. In Philippians 2, 3 to 4, he says, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, and I've, I've struggled with this. I've got to be honest with you. I remember when, when I was first coming to churches and didn't have children, I would have conversations where people would, the whole conversation would be about someone else's kid. And I, I would leave those conversations kind of leaving, I mean, I wasn't offended, but I didn't feel honored by that. And it was great to hear about their kids. I really, it was, it was great. But then when I had a kid of my own, I realized that all my conversations were about my kid, you know? And God, like, convicted me of that. He's like, you know, why, why do you do that? 
it's not about you. You know, in humility, consider other people greater than yourselves. And then just by asking them, what's important to them? I find that they do that to me. And I leave with this incredibly honoring feeling of really kind of loving one another and, and being our brother's keeper and being our sister's keeper. You know, uh, there's, a, there's a saying uh, that is attributed to Maya Angelou, but it's been attributed to a lot of people. But it says, people may not remember what you've said or what you've done, but they will remember the way you made them feel. And by honoring people, it's incredible because the world doesn't really do a good job of honoring us. In fact, it, it really dishonors us. It really pegs us against each other and it takes away our value. Now, in trying to see how, as a community, we can be transformed, I don't know if any of you do this, but one of the things I used to do is I would really take the early church and put it on a pedestal, right? Does anyone do that? No? Yeah? I, I look at the early church and I'm like, man, if we could be like the early church, wow. I mean, the kingdom would be advancing, the Holy Spirit would be moving, and you know, people like Paul would be preaching to us, and, and, and that would be awesome, you know, because they're, they're super cool, and, and, and it's, it would be just a transformative process. And And God kind of led me to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And as I was reading, I was like, I don't want to be like this early church. I don't want to be anything like this early church. I mean, what was happening over there, you know? And, you know, part of that was, you know, 1 Corinthians 16, 10. Paul had to write to them and he said, I'm sending Timothy to you. Please make sure he's safe and that you don't hold him in contempt. I mean, if you have to write, make sure he's safe and that you're not holding him in contempt, you're really struggling with honor. You know, don't kill the guy that I sent to you. You know, that's, and this is the church, you know, and this is not being persecuted. And then the very next phrase, he says, um, and I had to urgently tell Apollos and convince him to come back to you. And, and he's thinking about it, basically, that he, he, he may come back to you. I was like, what is it about the Corinthian church that they're just burning through these apostles and these, these teachers of the law? And then in 2 Corinthians 2.1, Paul says, so I made up in my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. Now, even Paul doesn't want to go back to them. You know? He was trying to convince other people to go back, and now he, he doesn't want anything to do with these guys. Now, he planted this church. You know, he planted in the second missionary journey the Corinthian church, and he's been going there and trying to bless them. And in 1 Corinthians, he writes a letter to encourage them to grow and to mature. And it's not pain. It's not, it doesn't feel good to grow and mature. It doesn't feel good. But we have to make a decision whether to take offense at that or to allow that growth to happen. And... In 2 Corinthians 2.1, he says, For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you who I have grieved? For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. And, I, you know, it's incredible, the heart of Paul. And out of his love and out of his incredible heart for them, he was like crying with tears for them. And they were seeing the worst in him, that they were taking offense at everything he said. And we know that after he wrote 1 Corinthians, that he then went to them personally to settle this, and it was a painful, painful visit. And then he comes back and he writes 2 Corinthians to, uh, to basically say the same thing and address all of their concerns. And we, we know that the Corinthians wrote him a letter, basically accusing him of many things, and he addresses that systematically in 2 Corinthians. And we see that some of the things that, that um, he, he had to defend himself with is of not stealing from them. You know, in um, kind of the... the um, the next point that we have is thinking the best of one another. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 3, he has to defend the fact that he's an apostle, where they don't think he's an apostle. He planted the church, and he's coming back to them. He's encouraging them, but they still don't see him as an apostle. And then 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I've been beaten for you and three times have had the 40 lashes minus one and been shipwrecked and stoned and uh, set adrift at sea and, you know, my fearing for my life and a threat everywhere just to be with you. And still you don't consider me an apostle, that you don't receive me? And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 16 to 18, they call him a crafty fellow using Titus that, to bring up an offering for the Jerusalem church and, and to think that they're stealing from them to then support his own ministry. And he says, I've never once asked you for anything, that I sponsor myself completely, that he was a tent maker. And he came to them, and he never asked them for anything. And then later in Corinthians, they accuse him of, why aren't you taking money from us? Do you not see, like, why is it that, you, what do you think about us that you don't want to take money from us? And there's no winning, you know, that they were so easy to take offense. And then you think about the phrase, to take offense, and you realize offense is something we take, that we can also choose not to take offense, that we can choose not to do that. And Martin Luther King said it incredibly well that let our thirst for freedom not lead us to drink from the cup of bitterness and hatred. And just as he said, let's choose not to do that. Let's choose as a body not to be offended in one another. And part of the way that we do that is, you know, next point six or whatever is to think the best of one another. Now, this kind of hit home a couple weeks ago. And I was telling a couple of people about this last week is Sheeta was working and I was taking my daughter to church, and we had a new car seat. And I was putting, I put her in the car seat, and I was trying to set the car seat in. And, like, I wrapped the seatbelt around it, and it, it just wasn't right. And it was like a death trap. And I was like, okay, this is not going to work. And so then I, like, found the clips, and I'm trying to put the clips in, and that wasn't really working. And, like, literally five minutes are going by where, where Narai is looking at me, looking at the clips, looking at me, looking at the clips. And, and I'm just feeling really incompetent. And I finally get it five minutes later. And then she looks at me, and she says, Yay! And starts, cl- <laughs> starts clapping. And my first thought was, are you making fun of me? Are, 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 you, are, you, are you being sarcastic? And then I look, I look, it up, her, look up at her in her like, big brown eyes, and she just blinks a couple times. And I realized that she was just trying to encourage me. But why, why would I possibly think that my 18-month-old daughter was trying to insult me? Why would I possibly think that? You know? But that was the first thing that came into my mind. And, and I realized that, that that's what the world teaches us. It teaches us that people are trying to get us, that they're, they're trying to like, hurt us in some way. And, and it's so easy to take that over to our brothers and our sisters, to one another. And, but when that happens, you know, let's be quick to open our hearts to God and, and let him transform our hearts. Let him show us the value that he sees in us. Let him open, open our hearts and transform us with that. And, um, and that can be incredibly transformative. Now, the, you know, the six things that we talked about were that honor starts with Jesus honoring us. To avoid comparisons, to not see our value relatively, as so many things in the world are all relative now, but to see an absolute honor that Jesus calls out in our lives. To honor with effort, using our time, our actions, our speech, to honor one another. Considering others is more important than ourselves and what's important to them. Avoiding offense, not taking offense, and thinking the best of one another. Now, after we do all of those things, you may say, okay, great, fine, we honor one another. What, like, what does that do? Like, I mean, so what if we honor one another? But in Paul's letter to Philemon, we see that honor can be incredibly powerful. So, as you may know, Philemon was a wealthy person in, um, in the church, and the church of Colossians met at his home. And he, you know, he was doing incredible things for the church and for the gospel, but he did have a slave, Onesimus. And Onesimus... Uh, likely stole from him to escape because, you know, he would need to steal in order to escape and to, to tr- be able to travel away. 
And Onesimus meets Paul, probably because Paul was ministering in the Colossian church and they had probably encountered each other. And Onesimus um, gives his life to the Lord. He um, has an incredible relationship with Paul. And Paul describes him as a son in the faith. And, but the rule of the time was, if a slave is, runs away, that their life was forfeit. That they could be beaten, branded, killed, um, and then taken back to their, their, their master. And so Paul, after prayer, um, decided to bring Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter, and the letter of Philemon. And in the letter, he honored both Philemon and Onesimus. And he says to Philemon, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And then later, he honors Onesimus. And he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, the the idea of the time, the justification for slavery was that one was more valuable than another, that one was devalued. And here, Paul establishes that the two are the same. As he says in Galatians, that there is no slave, there's no free. And as he says, Philemon, you are my brother. And Onesimus, he is my son. And together, be a family. And then he also says, I'm sending Titus to make sure that you guys do the right thing. You know? <laughs> and he, he also says, prepare a room for me because I will come back and visit and make sure that everything's okay. So he's not being foolish, but he's reconciling them together. And as part of the church, as he's equals in the church. And as he does that, we have the benefit of history. We can look back and see, well, what did that do? Because it's easy to read this out of context. And we see that in AD 330, that when Constantine um, made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, that he also established the Edict of Libertas, that this principle undermined the slave trade. And he said that slaves would be made free. 1,500 years before slavery was abolished in America, way ahead of its time, and we see the gospel that honor is transformative, that it has the power to change empires. And I wonder, how could this honor change our lives? How could this honor change our church, our relationships, and our world? And a few years ago, there was um, something happened to me that that really crystallized this point of honor. I was working in a veterans hospital, um, and um, one of the, the veterans had come in, and he was an alcoholic, and he... Uh, drank too much, and then he took his medicines, and then he drank more, and then he took his medicines again, and then he drank more, and he took his medicines again, because he kept forgetting that he had taken his medicines. And his wife brought him in, because he was really sick, and she said, you know, I kept trying to stop him, but he was being belligerent, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't refuse. <clears throat> and so as he came in, one by one, his organs were failing. <clears throat> and first, his, his heart started failing, And we had him on three medicines, continuous infusions, just to try to keep his heart going. And then his kidneys failed, and we had him on dialysis to to filter out his blood. And then his lungs failed, and we had him on a ventilator, a breathing tube, so that he could breathe. And he was on 100% of oxygen. And despite all of that, his lungs were flooding with water, so we'd have to disconnect the tube and pour out the water, and then reconnect the tube. He was literally flooding from the inside out. And after working on him for hours and hours... One by one, each of the physicians had to leave their shift. And so as they left, they would say, good luck, Matt, he's going to die on your watch. And I was like, ah, this is terrible. Now, while all of this is happening, his wife was nowhere to be seen, his kids were nowhere to be seen, and you could just tell that there was a lot of brokenness that was was causing this. 
And so we called several people from church and said, hey, can you come and pray, pray for him? And, uh, so, you know, some people said yes, but, you know, one by one, things came up and everyone, you know, unfortunately couldn't make it. And I was standing by, you know, kind of in the front of his room, just overcome with this heart of compassion. And it was something that I've never felt before, but it was like the Holy Spirit had just come over my heart and my heart just felt compassion for this complete stranger that I'd never felt before. <coughs> and as that compassion flowed over my heart, there was this electricity in the room, like palpable electricity in the room. And there was a man that was there, and he came to his bedside and was at his bed and put his hand on him. And as, as he did that, I looked at the monitors, and the oxygen level went, his oxygen level went from uh, 90% to 85 to 80 to 75. His pulse went from 60 to 55 to 50. His blood pressure was dropping, and there was nothing else I could do that the fullness of medicine could not save him. And then the man said, freely I've been given, and freely I give, in the name of Jesus be healed. And something happened. And right at that moment, that electricity, something happened with that, and I looked at his heart rate, and it went 50, 55, 60. His oxygen went 75%, 80, 85. His blood pressure started rising, and I spent the whole rest of the night just peeling back medicines and peeling that off. And after 30 hours, I, I left, and... I came back the next day, and he was sitting there, just like any of you are sitting here, looking at me, saying, hey, doc, what's, what's going on? <coughs> and I told him, I told him what had happened, and at this point, his wife was by his side. And as I told him that, he was like, wow, what? What happened? <coughs> and his wife said, I never will forget the look that his wife had. Just this look of utter confusion. She looked at me and then looked at him with this look like, why would God help save him? Why would God help this guy? Doesn't he know what, what he's done or who he is? And I remember that really left a mark, <clears throat> that regardless of what we've done or who we are or who we think we are, that Jesus still values each of us, that he calls forth value in each of our lives, that he brings it and he rises it up within us. And that's where our value comes from. Because Jesus is Lord, we have value. Because he's honored us. And because he's honored us, we can honor one another because I see the value in you. I can be my brother's keeper. I can be my sister's keeper. I can see that, um, <clears throat> that, that, that honor can transform our lives. And I just wanted to, to end by, by praying for us that, that we would step into that even more fully. And so if we could bow our heads and, and pray. <clears throat> Lord, I just want to start by, by thanking you. Thanking you that that you came and lived for us, that you died for us, and that you were resurrected and are still a living and true God. And for those of us here who know you, we know what incredible God that you are, that you have honored us and valued us in, in such wonderful ways that, that whenever you are near, our hearts can rejoice. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I ask that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who doesn't know what an incredible, loving, faithful God you are, I pray that they would open their hearts to you. And I pray that as they open their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would stir in them and you would give them the strength and the courage to receive you, even now. And even now, as every, heart is, is, uh, every head is bowed, I pray that if anyone is, wants to know Jesus as Lord, or is struggling or just wants to know more, that they would just raise their hands so that we can come alongside them and pray with them and honor them and encourage them in this. And if you want to come forward after the service and... Um, and be prayed for as a family, as a community. 
I ask that they would come forward and have the boldness to do that so that we could come together. And Lord, I ask that, <clears throat> that this honor that you've given us freely, Lord, that we would freely give this honor. That we as a community would become our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper. That we would remember the value that you helped make us feel and other people would feel that value as we leave. That we would not choose to sip of the cup of bitterness or hatred, Father. And if anyone here is struggling with bitterness, if anyone here is struggling with hatred, that that bitter root would be removed in the name of Jesus. And that if they are struggling, Lord, let them come forward and, and help the brothers and the sisters to pray for that to be removed. That we could love one another. And Lord, I pray that we would make a decision to choose to reject the offense that is so easy to take. And I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, that empires would be changed again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Now, we finished early because I really wanted to, to emphasize the time of ministry after this because, you know, I feel that God is, is doing something in our midst. And I think we felt that in, in the worship. We felt this incredible privilege and this presence of the Lord moving amidst us. And even during the preach, I feel that God is doing something, and I was just trying to get out of the way of that. And, and so now, if you feel something stirring in your heart, if you're struggling with offense, if you're struggling with um, not thinking the best of one another, or, or competing, or, or, or any of those things, I ask that you would just be bold in coming forward and just praying together. Praying with, I know there are a whole team of people here that would just love to stand with you and pray with you. And even if it's for a greater revelation of how Jesus values you, just like the word that Sheetal had of, looking in that muddy water and wanting to see it clear and wanting to see our incredible value in Christ, then don't be shy. Come forward and let, let the, the God of all the universe, our Lord, come and intercede for us today. Okay? So I encourage you for that. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more podcasts at churchinthecity.us.